this final episode of the series, I want to talk a little bit about a place called Alabate. Alabate National Monument. This is a very interesting and unusual piece of ground. For a long time, it was the only national monument in the state of Texas, for decades, in fact. That was changed when Waco, Texas, was able to convince the federal government to recognize the Mammoth Site as a Texas National Monument. You know, I was in Waco for graduate school and law school before the National Monument was recognized. I was able to visit the Mammoth Site, and it's very unusual. It's actually very moving and quite impressive, so I was glad to hear that they got that designation. But it doesn't take away anything from Alabates. Alabates was still the first in Texas. Why is it a national monument? Because it's been a site of human activity for over 13,000 years. And a lot of specialists have done some excellent work tracing the history of the land. There are some extremely rare petroglyphs. In October of each year, that's National Archaeology Month, they do have some special organized tours where the rangers can take you out to some closed areas of the National Monument and show you some of the particularly rare petroglyphs. Other times in the year, you can call and arrange for some guided tours. It's fascinating to see the petroglyphs. It's also just a beautiful, wild piece of land. And to learn about the different plants and insects and animals of the Panhandle, it's a great place for that. It's also just a wonderful place to feel the sun on your face and the wind in your hair and have some time alone with your thoughts. There's a lot of the good kind of quiet out at Alabates. It's a national monument. Now, what was it back during the Texas Panhandle's Old West phase? Well, as you might guess, it was ranch land. In fact, what is now Alabates was part of the LX Ranch in 1877. So put that back in perspective with our timeline. That's just one year after Charles Goodnight started the first ranch in the Texas Panhandle. As I've mentioned before, once people started coming in to fence and settle this part of the country, the former wilderness, things happened very, very quickly. Well, it was the LX Ranch, and in, I think it was about, yes, it was 1906, a geologist was on the ranch land, and he was going through there in the surrounding area looking for evidence of oil and gas. He met a cowboy named Alan Bates, whom most people just called Allie, and Allie showed him around the area. 
The geologist studied some interesting rocks. He was particularly intrigued by a layer of caliche and decided that uh, the area needed a name on the map. There was a ravine nearby, and he thought that would be a good landmark, but he wanted to name the ravine. So he named it after the cowboy who gave him the tour. He named it after Allie Bates. Well, this land was eventually sold to a local Texas panhandle rancher who, bit by bit, carefully and thoughtfully, expanded his own personal ranching empire in the Texas panhandle. A man named Lee Bivens. You may recognize that name from an earlier episode. It's really interesting when you start studying the history of the Texas Panhandle to see how many different lives and how many different places are all woven in together. Well, eventually, the area that is now known as the Alabates National Monument was sold by the Bivens family to the state of Texas. They were looking to start a recreation area and eventually did very nearby the Lake Meredith recreation area. But a local amateur archaeologist thought that instead of just turning the whole thing into a recreation area, the Alabates area within the larger plan needed to be preserved and needed special treatment. He recognized that there was something special about the flint, the flint that had been connected to that old caliche level that the geologist recognized back in 1906. It turns out that this particular flint, the Alabates flint, was extremely useful for making things like arrow points and axe heads and spearheads. And it was so highly valued that Alabates flint has actually been traced and found to have been used by Native American groups in all different parts of the United States. It was traded between tribes and traveled hundreds of miles from the original site where it had been mined and napped and then turned into specific tools. Floyd Studer was able to convince some local Amarillo business people who joined in the campaign, and in 1965, the federal government did recognize the area as being a particular national significance and value, and so Alabates became a national monument. Your bed. 
we have this piece of land named after a cowboy who happened to be standing there. A piece of land that had been part of a ranching empire, but its history actually extended back even further, thousands of years. This is the quiet and not always well-known wonder that is Alabates. It's interesting to think back to where we started this little podcast series. It was the idea that a magazine a few years ago named Amarillo the number four western town in the United States. And the main reason Amarillo made the list was the connection to Old West history. Again, the evidence of that in Amarillo itself is really fading today. It seems like some of our leaders in local government actually want to get away from it. But when you study this community, when you look around at some of the symbols in some of the towns around Amarillo, and you look in the, the Panhandle Plains Historic Museum and, and some of the battle sites, you look at at Boys Ranch, you look at Alabates, our history actually is still with us. If you just know where to look, if you're willing to maybe get off the, the main roads, get off I-40 and do a little bit of exploring, the Old West is never far away. It's part of the fabric of the Texas Panhandle. Tonight, before I stepped into this recording booth, I paused to look out the window at the, the field in the back. There's a little playa lake out there. It's one of my favorite playa lakes, maybe because it's the one closest to where I live. We're hurting for rain again, but there's been just enough lately that there is some water in the playa. And the way playa lakes work if you give them a drop, well, they're going to hold on to it as long as they can, and that's what this little lake is doing. There's just this one seam of water left, but it's perfectly placed so that when the sun sets in the evening, it makes an extra band of colored light. The sun setting on the horizon, there's that beautiful blaze of color. Then there's the darkness of the earth itself, and then one last crimson band, courtesy of that playa. It's kind of like around here. There was all this color, all this, this blazing light in the early history of the panhandle. And it's tempting, in a sad way, to think that all that color is gone. But if you look for it, you can still find a little streak of it, a little band somewhere. I think back to Billy Dixon, who came out west when he was still a boy, barely a teenager, looking for adventure, and was always grateful that when he came to the Panhandle in particular, he got exactly what he'd been looking for. You know, he commented in some in his biography about the fact that it would never be the same as it was when he came out here. Billy Dixon, like Charles Goodnight, 
like Lee Bivens, like a lot of the pioneers to this area, recognized that they were at a unique moment in history. And when we live does, in part, shape who we are. But that doesn't mean that the Old West is gone. That doesn't mean the spirit of the Old West is gone. A few years ago, one of the years I was able to attend the rodeo out at Cal Farley's Boys Ranch, I and the other spectators were treated to a display of that true Old West spirit. In fact, it was almost like I, I got to see a young Billy Dixon, or at least someone with a spirit a lot like his. As a young man, he was told that uh, he was actually quite a good athlete in general for Boys Ranch, a very good player on the football team. He was helping to manage the Bulls. He wasn't wearing any face paint or anything, but he, he was serving a similar role to that of a rodeo clown, so that when riders were thrown off the bulls, he was one of the people who would help distract the bull until the rider could safely get away. And this young man showed a lot of spirit. He was quick. He was good. And in fact, he was the main reason there were not serious injuries. Well, we got to the end of the bull riding event, and there was an extra bull. I just had one rider who had dropped out for that day. And this young man had a request that they honored. He stood in the middle and said, let the bull out. And it was just him versus the bull. This wasn't bull fighting, mind you. Because this this young man didn't have a weapon. It was just him versus the bull. And they challenged each other. The bull sized him up and then charged him. And the man was able to dodge the bull. The bull backed off and circled around a bit. The man keeping his eyes on the animal all the while. The bull charged again, almost pinned him to the wall. But he ducked and scurried away and whirled back around and waited for the bull to come at him again. They did it about four times. And then the bull kind of tossed his head like, oh, he was just sick of the whole thing. And they opened the gate for him and the bull started to saunter toward the gate. Like it was his decision, the game was over. But the man was smart. The man had the true soul of an adventurer in him. He kind of crept up behind the bull, keeping an eye on him and just waiting. And the bull acted like he didn't know the man was back there. But you could see just a little bit in the way he flicked back his eyes, in the continuing tension of his body, that the bull didn't think the game was really over any more than the man did. Just when it looked like the bull was going to go back into the pen. Just when everyone in the crowd thought, ah, oh, it's done. Wasn't, wasn't that fun to watch? The bull suddenly whirled around and went after the man one last time. 
and he grinned as the bull came at him. He was so ready. This was his adventure. He'd asked for it. And he dodged beautifully and easily, slipped around the bull, jumped up. And when the bull finally turned back around, he was the one who closed the gate on the animal. The whole place erupted into cheers. I mean, everyone was on their feet, shouting for this young man. It was an adventure. That was a slice of the Old West. That was a modern-day pioneer standing there in the dust in front of us, trickle of sweat running down his face, and just grinning. The same sort of grin you would have probably seen from Billy Dixon when he was out hunting the buffalo. No matter what happens in Amarillo, no matter what symbols we keep or lose, I think that spirit's always going to be with us in some way. That's one of the things that makes it really interesting for me to call this place home.